0: Hey friends, my name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you chose to worship with us this week and it's an honor for us to be with you wherever you might be. You know, some this week I've gotten to do some of our morning encouragements on Facebook. I hope you've checked out some of the resources we're putting out at Seacoast at home all throughout the week. There's devotionals and prayer time and worship, but One of the sweet parts of doing that is that I've been able to interact with people who call themselves seacoasters all over the world, men from the Philippines, from Australia, people in Washington. And so wherever you may be, if it's at one of our our physical physical locations, as soon as we open, right? Or on home, at home, or somewhere else in the world, uh, man, we are glad that you're with us. We may not see you personally, but we see you as family. And in fact, we've got a cool opportunity for you this week. It's week four of the Inside Track, and it's the best opportunity for. For you to join the team, to be a part of the church, to serve, join a small group, even digitally, wherever you might be. And the easiest way, the easiest step for you to get involved is to text the word "inside track" to 320320. But it's a great opportunity for you to join the team wherever you might be. Well, hey, for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Reentry, And as we, as a world, prepare to re-enter into a new normal, whatever that looks like, We've been evaluating some of the attitudes or actions that that would prepare us to do so in a way that we would become become the people and do the things that God has called us to. I've heard it said that how you leave one season is how you enter into the next. Well, man, we've been in a season unlike one we've ever experienced. And I'm confident that God is in it. There's some work He wants to do in us. And so we're looking at how do we reenter as the people of God changed and doing the things that He's called us to. And today we're gonna be in Acts chapter 5. We've been studying through the beginning of this book as the disciples reenter into a new normal now that Jesus has gone and commissioned them. So if you have your Bibles, pull it out. We'll be in Acts chapter 5. You can open it up in Version or the uh, text we look at are going to be there on the screen. But before we jump in, I want to set the table for you just a little bit so that you can catch a glimpse as to what life looks like for the believers right now. In Acts chapter 4, um, we read that they are experiencing some radical community. I want to read it to you. It's in verse 33, it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. I want you to think about this, all right? So God was so powerfully at work in them all. His grace was so evident that there were no needy persons among them. Man, when I think about this season, I see need everywhere, It goes on to say that people who had property or homes sold it and gave to one another as they had need. It's like, man, you just lost your job. Hey, it's all right. We've got some extra cash in the bank. You've lost your home. Hey, we've got a room. You can move in with us. You and your smelly dogs, you know, like whatever the need was, they were giving generously for one another. If somebody knocked on my door now and they were like, hey, bro, can I get a sandwich? I'm like, sure, you can get a sandwich. At Publix, you know, I got six <laughs> kids in here, you know. I just made a peanut butter and jelly out of in bread. I had to flip it upside down so the kids didn't know it wasn't normal. Bread is like, we've all got need, right? But this was a season where the Spirit of God was so powerfully at work in people. They were experiencing radical generosity, authentic community, right? And people were taking note of it. Not only that, but as we move in to chapter five, we see that God was doing some supernatural things. Starting in verse 12, it says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, which was essentially just a massive courtyard of sorts. It says, no one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. And what he's talking about there is they were living their lives in such a way that people knew that there was a price to pay that there was a ticket to entry, right? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Like they were seeing people die to themselves daily, give generously to one another. They were seeing supernatural things happen and they dared not come in, though they greatly respected the believers. It goes on to say in verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed. Crowds crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits and all of them were healed. Homeboy's shadow was falling on people and bringing about healing. All of them were, not just some of them were healed or not just the really sick were healed, But this is a supernatural season of miracles where all the people are being healed. Just imagine the mountaintop that they were living in, not just relationally among the community of believers, but their ministry was marked by signs and wonders. Like this is just a mountaintop experience, right? Until verse 17, it goes on to say, then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Now the Sadducees or a a group of people who did not believe in the resurrection, which is why they were sad, you see. (laughs) (laughs) Cheesy, Cheesy Bible joke, I know, okay. So they were jealous because here these people are preaching the good news about Jesus who had resurrected from the dead, that this resurrection, this new life was available for believers and the Sadducees were jealous. And so here's what it says in verse 18. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. So imagine just how jarring that experience was, right? They are on a mountaintop among their community, in their ministry, and the next moment, they find themselves in jail. Some very real limitations, some very real walls around them. I just watched the Shawshank Redemption preparing for our At the Movies series and just have a visual in my mind of a jail cell. Someone else controlling how much sunlight you see per day. What you eat, when you eat, if you eat what you're gonna wear, like some very real limitations were around them. But in verse 20, it says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. See, in the midst of their limitations, God met them there and did something incredible both in them and through them. You know, when I read this story in Acts chapter five, I can't help but wonder what it would sound like if it was written 2000 years later, right? If it was the story today. And oddly enough, it sounds very similar to the story that we've been living in, right? All the believers at Seacoast were wildly generous and gave to building the largest facility they had ever had that we might continue to reach a growing town. People sacrificed and gave. Once we moved into our new building, we experienced a move of God only comparable to what you read about in this book, right? Tumors disappear. People with cancer were, were healed. Deaf ears were open. People from all around the country asking, what did you do? Why is this happening? We've been praying too. <laughs> like, why isn't it happening here? Like just amazing things that we couldn't even begin to explain only all of a sudden for us to not gather for four months, for us to be in quarantine, We're not gonna gather in buildings on the weekend, something we haven't done in 30 years, right? That hasn't been experienced in our lifetime. Man, it seems oddly similar to the situations that we've been living in and walking through. And if God showed up in their limitations and did something miraculous, I'm confident for us today that he's gonna show up and do something miraculous in ours as well. You know, there's times in our life where limitations are put on us by others. That's what we read about here in the story of the disciples but there's also times where we put limitations on ourselves. I'm reminded of John chapter 5, verse 20, when Mary Magdalene runs to the tomb after Jesus' death. I can't help but wondering how she was feeling or what she must have been thinking. Here in a culture that didn't value women, the one man that saw her, that loved her, that invested in her, that walked with her has now been crucified, dead, and buried. And she goes to the tomb thinking, well, I'm just gonna be near his body, right? She gets there, the stone's been rolled away and Jesus himself appears to her though she thinks he's the gardener, right? And what does he tell her? The very same thing the, angels, the angel told the disciples when they were in jail. In this season where she had put some limitations on her in her heart, what's gonna happen in my future? What's my life gonna look like? What does this mean for me? He shows up in the midst of those limitations to say, hey, go and tell the others, right? Go and tell. In a season where we're feeling very limited, right? Where we're being told what we can and can't do. Church, I'm believing that God is gonna show up to do an amazing work both in us and through us. Limitations were a part of their life in the Bible. They're a part of all of our lives today. And so the question then is how do I leverage my limitations to ensure that I become the person, to ensure that we do the things that God has called us to? That's what I want us to to look at today. The first thought for us as to how do I handle my limitations is number one, remember that they are allowed by God. Remember that your limitations are allowed by God. I want you to think with me for a minute about the, the journey of a disciple in the Bible. They're out fishing one day, you know, just doing their thing, casting the net. Jesus walks up the beach, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. It tells us that they dropped their nets, right? Left their stuff, went off and followed Jesus. And before they know it, man, they are seeing the miraculous feeding of 5,000 dead people coming back to life. He's sending them to go and do the same thing to be a part of this. I mean, the journey is up and to the right. Just amazing, right? But all of the sudden he is arrested, crucified, dead, and gone. You talk about a downhill, like what is happening now? But wait, he's resurrected, he's back. Then he spent 40 days with the disciples, right? Commissioning them, empowering them. But then he ascends into heaven, (laughs) he leaves again. And he says, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. They go out and they start doing amazing things. And then in a moment, they find themselves in jail, right? Like this journey of up and down and up and down. I don't know about you, but that sounds a whole lot like my life as well, right? And as we read their story and as we look at our lives, it's evident that God is as present with them in every moment of it because we can read it as history, right? Right? But how many of you know when you're walking through life experiencing the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the isolation of quarantine, the pain of unemployment or financial strain, the fear of sickness and what's going to happen to you in your future? Man, those lows can feel like a dark place. Well, it's in those seasons that we have to remember that God is as close to us as he's ever been. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight says it this way. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds us that his plans are to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. Both of those passages, if we know those things, it says, and we know, you know, like, well, if you do, that should lift your spirits. It should encourage you to remember that regardless of whatever limitations have put on you, they've been allowed by God. Any limitations put on you aren't outside of the glance of God. He's aware, he's not surprised like, man, I did not know the Walters were gonna be walking through that right now. I'm reminded of Joseph. You remember when he was betrayed by his brothers? He was thrown into a pit, he was sold into slavery. He was lied about, he was thrown into jail. All the while God was positioning him and what any of us walking through it would have thought, low, 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 you know, like, could it get any worse, right? but it was the greatest turnaround of all time. God was using that pain. He was using that season to position him to do the very thing he had called him to. I think about the apostle Paul. He had some real limitations in his life. He wrote the majority of the New Testament from prison, right? Four walls, right? Very defined parameters and boundaries as to where he could go and what he could do. But God transitioned his ministry from a preacher to a writer and we are all better today because of it. Any of the limitations put on us are not outside of the, the, the eye of God. He's very much aware. I'm reminded of the um, Apostle Paul's word in 2 Corinthians 12, seven through nine, it says this. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness." So God gave him this gift, right? To torment him, right? He had some real limitations, but it was to keep him from becoming conceited. See, God uses limitations in our life, not just to position us for where he wants us to go, not just to platform us to do something incredible, but to help us become the people that he's created us to be. You know, what if you were a hiker or you liked cycling and the thorn in your flesh, the gift to you, was hip issues, you know, it's like, God, could we like uh, maybe make it a digestive issue or (laughs) could we flip the script here? Or or if you love music, what if the thorn was, was an issue with your ears or if you wanted to be a pilot and it was an issue with your eyes, right? We've got to believe that his plans are to prosper us, that he's good, that he's with us, that even good things are gonna come from this, not just in me, but through me. Our limitations are allowed by God. And if we can settle that in our spirit, it'll allow us to walk through anything that comes our way with a perspective and confidence that he's preparing me, he's positioning me, he's platforming me, he's about to send me to go and do amazing things. So how do I, how do I handle my limitations? Number one, I have to remember that they are allowed by God. Second thought is that, that how do I handle my limitations is that I have to push past the first response to the best response. I have to push past the first response to the best response. How do you think you would have responded if you were Paul and you had been given that thorn in your sight, right? Like I would imagine I would be angry. I would think about it day by day. Every time I saw somebody out on a run and I wanted to, like I would slowly grow bitter. I would be frustrated. I I would not like people who ran a lot, you know, just because I wanted to, right? I would just really struggle with it. Well, look at the way Paul responds in verses uh, nine and 10. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong, right? Paul boasted in his weakness. He pushed past where he would have been you know, validated to have anger or disappointment or frustration or bitterness, he pushed past the first response to the best response and acknowledged that, you know what? This weakness, this struggle gives me access to the the power of God, right? My currency is weakness. I'm gonna boast in this thing because I know I don't wanna do this in my power. Paul didn't want it in his power. I don't want it in my power and you don't want it in yours, right? So boast in your limitations, boast in your weakness because it gives us access to the presence of God. So we not only have to take on that posture with God, push past our first response to the best response when it comes to spiritual things, but we also have to do it with people, right? And that was the case here with the disciples. They had been arrested, they had been thrown in jail. And I'm telling you, had that been me and they didn't take my smartphone from me, I would have been making up hashtags down with the sad UCs. Like (laughs) I would have been looking for a little chisel, trying to break my way out of there. And that's what happens when we're faced with limitations that are put on us by people. We try to fight back, push back, we try to run from them, we try to try to avoid them. But we don't see that being true with the disciples. They were thrown in jail, and when the angel appeared to them and sent them out to go and tell, the posture of their hearts were ready to go and do the very thing that God had called them to because they remembered that he was with them, that he was for them, that he was going to show up and do something incredible here, right? And the same is true for us and our relationships with people, regardless of how angry or frustrated we may be, we have to push back the first, push past the first response to the best response. John 5, 43 and 44 says it this way. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, we read that verse and it's such a like good, like amen, right on brother, you know, until you find yourself in in an argument with a neighbor. And the thoughts that are going through your mind um, are things like, I want to throat punch him, right? (laughs) I want to take him out, (laughs) you know? Something happens and the anger just gets all over you. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been walking through stuff that I've had to call my friends that I know have walked through some seasons relationally with people and said, bro, tell me how you did it. No, literally practically, like, what do I do right now? You know, just so angry, right? But we have to push past the first response to the best response. What's interesting about that is that oftentimes the first response is all about me. How I feel, what I think, the way that I see things, the road that I've walked, the way this is gonna impact my future, right? Even in thinking about the the coronavirus, for example. You know, uh, we just recently here in South Carolina, several uh, counties have, have required people to wear masks and i've not once heard somebody say you can't wear my wife wear a mask you know but what i've heard a lot is you can't make me wear a mask right that it's about my freedoms i don't agree with that i don't believe in the science of that i don't look good in those you know whatever the reasoning is the first filter is one of defense you can't take away my freedoms you can't do this to me the scary thing is in this season there ain't no experts right and positioning yourself as one is probably a good indicator that you're more a part of the, the problem than the solution, right? <laughs> I don't know if masks are gonna help, but I do know the me filter isn't thinking about those with preexisting conditions. It's not thinking about the elderly. It's not thinking about those with asthma or cancer or those that I could be a part of helping protect, right? So maybe I should just wear a mask. I think about the race conversation that we've been walking through as a country. And what it's reminded me of is about a decade ago when Katie and I went through an an epic marriage crisis. I thought our marriage was unraveling. We actually moved here to Charleston out of desperation for, for a fresh start. And man, we had seen counselors and were meeting with pastors. And after we had shared with them the story of what we were walking through, I didn't hear one person say, well, you know what? My marriage is great. I grew up in a home where my parents modeled a great marriage and there wasn't a divorced family in our whole neighborhood. You know what, marriage problems aren't really a thing anymore. No one did that because statistically they know that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Anyone that's been married know that, knows that marriage is hard, right? But when the race conversation comes up, oftentimes it's that the first response that's coming out, people are saying, well, I've got a lot of black friends. I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of black neighbors. There's not a racist bone in my body. Like somehow the me filter is keeping us from having the real conversation. In our marriage, people said, how can I help you? Man, I'm so sorry. I'll be praying for you. They walked with us. What would it look like in the race conversation to push push past the first response to the best response? and just say, you know what? Regardless of what I think, I'm not gonna say racism isn't real. I'm not gonna say systemic racism doesn't exist because the reality is I have a brother who's hurting. So push past the me filter to say, man, how can I help? How can I be a part of the solution? Don't just talk with people in your socioeconomic background. Don't just talk to people who might be your neighbors, man, talk to different people, expand your circle. If we're gonna listen, if we're gonna learn, if we're really gonna love people, we have to push back, push past the first response, to the best response. So number one, I have to remember that my limitations um, were allowed by God. Number two, I've got to push past the first response to the best response. And number three, I've got to watch God use them. I've got to watch God use them. Remembering that if he's allowed these limitations into my life, he's gonna do something incredible through them. See, oftentimes we see our limitations as just that, as limits, boundaries keeping us from doing what we desire to do or what we want to do. But what if in reality our limitations were our launch pad? God's way of, of, of trimming the fat, if you will. Like uh, even in this season, um, you know, you might be a sports guy, you ain't watching no sports, and reruns have gotten old, right? <laughs> uh, your kids, they're not in school anymore. You're having to spend time with the people that are supposed to be the, the closest to you. Maybe you used to skate by going to work. Well, now you're going to work from home or you're not going to work at all, right? Like God has very much gotten our attention and He's focused us. He's given us some limitations. And what if it's not to punish us? What if He hasn't forgotten us? What if He's not surprised by this, but what if He has positioned us with a launch pad to send us out to go and do incredible things? See, for the disciples here, they had found themselves in jail. Uh, The angel miraculously sets them free That very next morning, it tells us in chapter five, as soon as the sun came up, they did what the angel said. They set out and they went to to preach the good news. Well, within a few moments, the um, Sadducees realized they had escaped. They come back to arrest him, but the Bible tells us that they didn't dare lay a hand on them for fear of being stoned. Like people were so responding to the good news that the guards were afraid to touch them. So they just kind of walked up and guided them back to jail. Well, they get in there and start talking to them And the officials are all just so angry. They're so mad trying to figure out how are we gonna respond to these guys? we tried putting limitations on them and it's not working. And this is what happens in Acts 5.35, man stands up and he says, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in the revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. See, what for the disciples had been a limitation, all of this back and forth with a jail cell and the Sadducees was actually a launch pad. You know, the Sadducees were so mad, it tells us that they went on to flog them. They're like, well, if we're gonna let them go, we're at least gonna beat them up, right? And so they rough them up a little bit. And then the chapter ends by the disciples rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. But ultimately, this persecution this drama of jail, this back and forth of trying to be silenced served as a launch pad to set them free, to go and do the very thing that Jesus had called them to do. You know, I can't help but think about that for us in this season. As we think about the, the coronavirus and from, from our missions partners in Togo to our Asheville campus, to California and everywhere in between, between I don't know that the human experience has ever been so similar, right? I go to the grocery store now and you can see fear on people's faces. And as we talk about reentering, name me a problem that we as the church don't have the solution to. Is it unemployment? Is it job loss? Is it financial strain? Well, man, my God is my provider. Is it sickness? Are you afraid of, of getting the virus? Do you have preexisting conditions? My God is my healer. Have you been quarantined for months? You haven't been able to hang with your friends. You're a student that didn't get to wrap up the school year. You're feeling some isolation. Well, man, my God is my counselor, my comforter, and my friend. He is always with me, right? Have you taken up substance abuse to deal with with the pain, with the job loss, with the loneliness? Well, man, my God can break every chain. He came to set us free. There's never been a season like this as a church where when I think about what the angel told the disciples, go out and tell all the people about this new life. Church, should we be wise? Absolutely. Should you wash your hands? Definitely. Should you wear a face mask? Sure, but this is not the season for us to step into our next cowardice or fearful or afraid. We've been platformed by God. We've been given these limitations so that we can feel all the same things that the world does, but so that we might step into them with the answer to all of their problems. What if this was the season? What if this was the time where we experience more rapid explosive kingdom growth than we ever have before? Where the salvations we read about in this book that thousands would come to know him like that. That's what we start to walk in. Church, he is sending us out. He's speaking over us. I'm sharing with you the very things that the the angel told the disciples, the very thing that Jesus told Mary, man, it is time to go and tell, to take the good news to the people. I'm reminded of, of Pastor Michael. Uh, he is a, a pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus and he's been on staff here at Seacoast for 20 years now. And uh, what's interesting about Pastor Michael, he's a big dude. I mean, he looks like Goliath, uh, but he had dreamed of being a pilot in the Air Force. And so he he set out to uh, do that, went through the training and during his evaluations, they told him like, bro, you're not gonna be able to do it. You're, you're too big. <laughs> he's just a tall guy, right? And they said, your seat height is too high to get in an airplane. You're not going to be able to be a pilot. Well, for those of you who know Pastor Michael, man, that is good news for you because he carries the heart of God. Pastor Michael had dreams of flying himself, but God had other dreams for Michael. Isaiah 40 verse 31 is is one of the verses that comes to mind for me, for him. Those who hope in the Lord. Oh, I got to find it so I can read it to you. Um, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint." See, Pastor Michael wanted to fly himself, but God's vision for Pastor Michael is that he would help others fly. And you wouldn't believe the number of times that he's walked someone around the office that he had been meeting with, that he'll knock on my door. In fact, I'm reminded of a guy named Enrique. He passed away this year and went on to be with the Lord. And I remember the day that Pastor Michael walked around my office and introduced me to Enrique. He said, Pastor Josh, I wanna introduce you to your new brother in the Lord. This is Enrique. He made a decision today in my office to accept Jesus into his life. Well, little did we know that within the next year, Enrique would go on to be with Jesus, but his eternity is secure, right? He would go on to soar on wings like eagles. And what's sweet about that for all of us that get to know, love and walk with Pastor Michael, uh, but for any of you parents, you know that the only thing sweeter than you fulfilling your dreams is seeing your kids do it. And his daughter, Katie is now a Black Hawk pilot and his son, Caleb flies C-17s. In every way, Michael is living the dream, fulfilling the thing that God has called him to do, which is so sweeter than anything he would have pursued on his own. But he's also getting to see his kids live out the very things that he wanted to do. They're they're not nearly as big (laughs) as as Michael is. See church, the reality in all of our lives is that we are going to have limitations. What if we didn't see them as boundaries keeping us from doing the things that we wanted to do? but a launch pad, a place that God was gonna use to platform and position us to do the things He wanted to do, wants us to do, but also to ensure we become the people that can sustain the things that He's called us to. We have to remember that our limitations have been allowed by God. We have to be willing to push past the first response to the best response. And we have to be excited and willing and waiting to watch God use them because I'm confident He will. This is gonna be a season unlike any other. So as we prepare to re-enter, man, let's do it with eyes of expectation, hungry and excited to go and tell all the people all about this new life. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Acts chapter five. And I'm thankful that in the highs and the lows, God, that you are faithful, that you are always with us, that you use the limitations, whether they're limitations that are put on us by others or limitations that we might put on ourselves. You use them to mold us and shape us more and more into your image. You use them to send us into our future as a catapult, to send us out to do the very things that you've called us to. And so today, for whatever limitations those under my voice might be feeling, if it's financial strain, if it's pertaining to their health or their quarantine, if it's related to isolation, if it's related to race, whatever it may be, God, We just invite you into those spaces, knowing that you're present, knowing that you're working. God, would you help us to push past our first response to the best response and and be ambassadors for you, be used by you to help advance your, your kingdom and reach people in Jesus' name, amen.